This is the Afternoon Buzz with Buzz Eisenberg, 101.5 WHMP. It's been a long, a long time coming, but I know a change going to come. Change going to come. Welcome, everybody, to this afternoon's Afternoon Buzz. I am, uh, it is Friday, um, and it that means... It is time for our fair play segment. Um, it's very timely. Uh, NBA Commissioner Adam Silver put out a press release yesterday that read as follows. Bill Russell's unparalleled success on the court and in pioneering civil rights activism deserves to be honored in a unique and historic way. Permanently retiring his number six across every NBA team ensures that Bill's transcendent career will always be recognized. Who better to discuss this with than the man who stands at the intersection of social justice and sports, our own Duke Goldman. Hello, Duke. Buzz. So we suffered a big loss this uh yes this week bill russell died two weeks ago at the age of 88 years old he lived a good life a much longer life than most people his size you know people that are that tall often live shorter lives will chamberlain died in his 60s um his main protagonist but bill, bill russell was a remarkable human being a an incredible champion of sports and a champion of social justice, far ahead of the curve on so many things. And he just lived a great life. He made an impact all the way. Here's a man who won two successive NCAA championships with the previously unknown University of San Francisco Dons, then went and won the Olympics gold medal and then won 11 championships in 13 seasons as an NBA center, including eight in a row. And the last two he won as the player coach of the Boston Celtics, the first African-American coach in a major sport. Although I will add there was a coach named McClendon um, who coached for the short-lived American Basketball League in 1966, six years previously, who was African-American, but that was a short-lived, not well-known league. And for Russell to then be the first black head coach was also groundbreaking. And this is what he did. He broke ground all throughout his life. You know, unlike Will Chamberlain, who is an unbelievable scoring machine, Bill Russell is known not just for his defense, not just for his rebounding, but somehow he was known for making everyone around him better. How did that happen, Duke? Well, it, uh, I will tell you, uh, I, and I recommend to the audience that you read one of his two memoirs. His first memoir was called Go Up for Glory, and it came out in 1966, right before or right around when he became head coach. I got it in fifth grade. I just reread my original copy of Go Up for Glory. Um, and then he wrote a book called Second Wind, which is sort of an expanded version of it. And he described what it was like becoming Bill Russell and becoming this successful pro and how he and his teammates forged unique bonds. And the bonds were personal and professional. He described in his book, Go Up for Glory, how he and Bob Cousy had deep respect for each other, but were not close. And in fact, Bob Cousy, who the other day turned 94 years old, who's the last remaining star player from those teams, uh, wrote his own memoirs three years ago. And a lot of it was about his relationship with Bill Russell and how Cousy felt he had not done enough to support Russell in his fight against segregation. And yet they still managed to support each other. And uh, Russell was a unique individual because he was a team player and he along with red Auerbach, their hall of fame coach um and some of the un other unbelievable ball players uh Cousy and bill Sharman at guard and tommy heinsen the gunner who was later coach of the celtics and also a longtime broadcaster 
Um, John Havlicek, the sixth man who himself died pretty recently in the last year or two, uh, who was a perpetual motion star for that team. Uh, Casey and Sam Jones, guards, African-Americans um, who were tremendous. They just forged uh, an incredible unit. And as talented as Will Chamberlain was, yes, he didn't always have quite as strong a supporting unit, but these Celtics knew how to win, and it had a lot to do with having each other's backs. It's just beautiful. You know, we talk about team sports, and uh, what about the success? What about the number of championships? Do you think, because it was a smaller league with fewer teams, because the game wasn't as refined as it was going to be with trainers and nutritionists and uh, and people just growing and growing in their height, because there were so few teams, does that take anything away from the? Unbelievable run of championships that Bill Russell helped uh, shepherd into Boston. Well, interesting. You should bring that up. My answer to that is yes. Um, and, you know, fair play is about being fair. And I think being fair is looking at the record fairly and recognizing and contextualizing. So, for instance, I happen to be farthest thing from a Michael Jordan fan, but I think Michael Jordan's accomplishment of winning in essence six straight championships he won three championships in a row then famously left the nba for a year came back at the end of a season for 17 games and his team did not win that year but then when he, he returned for his first full season back they won the next three in a 30 team league i think that's a bigger achievement in many ways than russell winning eight in a row for a team that was in much more the early stages of the NBA when there are only about eight teams generally in the league. Nevertheless, winning 11 in 13 seasons is still monumental. It's still monumental. If there are two teams, it's real monumental to win 11 out of 13. The other thing that's really noteworthy now that his retired, and it's so apt to have his number retired for all teams in the NBA for posterity. I'm just, uh, it just warms the cockles of my heart. But, I couldn't help but compare it to Jackie Robinson, who uh, enjoys posthumously the same level of honor in baseball. His number 42 has been retired um, forever in all, across all teams. But Bill, somehow, Jackie Robinson suffered such cruelty and managed to still prevail as a baseball player. Bill Russell never seemed to back away from it. He always held his head high. He never seemed to get ruffled. Um, at least that's the impression I think, that I have. I think that's accurate. Um, I think he faced different... Three years later, actually, than... than major league baseball and again nba wasn't as big a sport nonetheless um, we're talking about a city boston that did not integrate its baseball team until three years after russell came along and uh, a city that was well known for racism and famously russell dealt with a situation where people broke into his house and defecated in his bed um, and he faced he faced pressures and he always felt like Boston did not celebrate him. It was well known that during that string of championship runs, the Boston Bruins always sold out and the Celtics did not. And the Bruins were not winning any Stanley Cups during that period of time. Um, so the Celtics were celebrated, but not to the same degree. And Russell spoke out. He spoke out in 1958. There was a, I believe it was a Sports Illustrated magazine article. He was quoted as saying the NBA has a quota. They have a quota system. And he was opposed by his owner, um, Walter Brown, who he had a great relationship with, but who nonetheless said Bill was full of it and that he did not look at color when he chose players. And Bill persisted and said there was a quota system. He also refused to play in exhibition games. The NBA a lot of times had preseason exhibitions and sometimes in-season. And some of the preseason exhibitions were in southern towns. Bill went to a southern town found out they were going to have segregated uh, housing, and he refused to play. And he got flack for it, but he stood up for himself, and he fought the battles. Um, I do think he had an easier path overall than Jackie because he came later on. But that's not to say in any way it was easy. Yeah. 
Yeah. Do you, I mean, do you, you have to choose a center today. Would it be Bill Russell? Well, the game is so different that it's very hard to say. I mean, Bill Russell was, as you alluded to earlier, a defensive force and not an offensive force. And although the game was played, as they say today, above the rim, even then, not nearly to the same degree. So a Bill Russell as, as a monumental defender, but Bill never averaged more than 18.9 points per game in any of his NBA seasons and was not a good shooter. I can't say I would pick him over others, not in this multifaceted NBA of today. You know, LeBron James has so much more to give. Would Bill have adjusted his game? I, I, I guess so. I think he would have done it to some degree of success, but I think he was the right man for the time. And in those days, he presented a force that nobody had seen before. He was such a dominant player in terms of a defensive front, but also in terms of supporting his teammates and being part of a successful offensive set with a brilliant strategical manager uh, that they were always winning. And my final question to you is, I remember a Red Auerbach interview uh, where he was really put on the spot. Uh, Red was finally going to move away from the Boston Celtics and, and no longer be either in, uh, in the front office or on uh, on the sidelines. And he, he was asked, so uh, you always talk about how people can see the their court and about their basketball intelligence. Who were the most intelligent and uh, uh, whatever, however it was asked in that regard, what players that you've coached and that you had on the Celtics, would you put at the top of the list? And, he, and to which he said, well, it's really difficult to say. There are so many great ones. And you have to put Larry right up there, but there's nobody else like Bill Russell. I always remember Red Auerbach reluctantly acknowledging that. You agree? I think, you know, he, he, he was a brilliant man. He was a brilliant player in the NBA game. And the other thing that showed his brilliance, I remember Bill Russell not as a player. I remember him being a sportscaster for ABC Sports doing the weekly basketball games. I think they were Sunday afternoons. And he was an incredible commentator. He was so astute. He was so funny. He was so wise. He was so knowledgeable. He was so candid. He demonstrated that same intelligence that he demonstrated on the court. I think he was an awesome individual, and he made a major impact on and America I, and not just American sports. And I'll never forget that cackling laugh. Yes, yes. <laughs> Duke Goldman is so great to be talking to you about Bill Russell, but also in, in terms of fairness, it's really difficult to speak with you and not talk about what's happening in Russia. Um, with Brittany Griner. I want to come back to that right after these messages, so please stay with us. We'll be right back. Oh, and just like the river I've been running. This is the Afternoon it Buzz with Buzz Eisenberg. 101.5 WHMP. A long time coming, but I know a change going to come. When it's happening here in the Valley, we're talking about it. So this is Massachusetts way of saying, we think it's an important program. We think it's important enough to continue for students and their families. And we're going to put the money up front to make sure it continues so that if the federal government does not renew it, Massachusetts will still have universal school meals. 1015, 1400, and 1240. We are the Valley. We are WHMP. A lot of mattress stores, all they talk about is price. Sale, 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 save, 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 blah, blah, blah. I get it. No one wants to pay a dollar more than you have to. But what do you really know about mattresses? Are you an expert? I'm not and I have a furniture store, so I at least know a little. Hi, it's Robin from Talon Furniture. We mostly sell therapeutic mattresses at Talon Furniture. Not Tempur-Pedic, not trying to mislead you, Therapeutic, the best mattress value I've ever found. And believe me, I've looked around. Therapeutic mattresses are made in Brockton. I've walked the floor and it was reassuring because there's no toxicity, no off-gassing. Therapeutic mattresses are clean. 
and made by fellow Red Sox fans. Play the sale, sale, sale game if you want. That's not for me. A therapeutic mattress from Talon Furniture is your best bet and best deal. Today, tomorrow, or whenever you decide to buy a new mattress. Winesick Nursery in Hadley has been named Best Local Garden Center in this year's Reader's Choice Awards, sponsored by the Daily Hampshire Gazette. Owner Michael Winesick would like to thank each and every customer who took the time to vote for Winesick Nursery in this year's Reader's Poll. It's an honor and a privilege to hold that local title and to live up to that reputation. Visit Winesick Nursery on Route 9 in Hadley and at winesicknursery.com for the best landscape and gardening supplies. We are the growers. Come to the source. This is the Afternoon Buzz with Buzz Eisenberg, 101.5 WHMP. And it is time to uh, return to fair play with Duke Goldman. Duke, um, there's this dreadful sentence for possession of a uh, THC substance that was prescribed by a physician by Brittany Griner in Russia. She was, uh, she's been in jail for almost six months, and she was sentenced to an additional nine years. Uh, could, uh, what, are, what are your thoughts in terms of that whole scenario? Well, let's talk a little bit about who Brittany Griner is. Uh, I hope she is someone people that are listening are familiar with. She is a six foot nine inch tall center in the WNBA. Um, she was a star athlete from high school on. She won championships in college. She's won, been on two Olympic gold medal teams. She's won a championship, been a many-time all-star, two-time scoring leader, um, and also um, a pioneer in dunking in women's basketball. She has brought the game to a whole nother level. And she has been a social activist as well, came out in 2013 publicly before many, if not most, professional athletes were coming out as gay. And she came out as a lesbian. Uh, at some risk to herself and her profile and her ability to get promotions and and whatever else. And she spoke out. She also spoke out in 2020. And she said she did not believe that the national anthem should be played at sporting events, which goes further than what um, Colin Kaepernick and others said. And and I, I think it's a controversial statement, but also in many ways a defensible statement. Now, what has happened to her? Well, she, in 2022, as you described, Buzz, got arrested in Russia. I think it was hash oil, less than an ounce, in a vaping um, cartridge, um, which she says she did not realize she passed. And there's no way to know factually um, because it'll be her word against, you know, whatever anybody else says, whether it was intentional or not, cannot be proven. But the Russian justice system, if there is indeed such a thing, has sentenced her to a nine-year prison term in Russia for this, what seems to be pretty trifling offense. Now, let's recognize Russia has done this for years. Um, I remember as a kid reading a Life magazine article in the late 60s about somebody who ended up in Tashkent, Russia, and was found with a small possession of drugs and was in jail for years there. And there are other people in jail in Russia, Americans, for similar things or even for different things that clearly would not get such sentences in America. And naturally, the timing of this is also very difficult because we now have Russia and America at loggerheads over Ukraine. And so Brittany Griner is being is the, the quote-unquote fall guy or fall girl or whatever you want to call her for what's going on geopolitically. Um, the question that is hard to answer is, is enough being done for her? Or in the, in the position of some, especially leading conservatives, is too much being done for her? It's really interesting. Do you, uh, I, you're in no position to answer the question, but it'd be irresponsible not to ask the question. Do you think the fact that she is uh, an African-American, female, homosexual, added to the, to the uh, gravity, the length of the sentence? I think it's a very, oh, uh, especially to the length of the sentence? No. I, I, think, I think that 
you know, the the most they could give her was 10 years and they gave her almost that. And I, I think that, you know, the sentence itself, I, I think that's, to me, that's not the thing that's, that is, is because of that. I think perhaps the way she's been handled, the way um, the, the, the publicity coming out of Russia, uh, perhaps where she's being put, she's being put in a penal colony. And I don't know for a fact that all of the prisoners there go to penal colonies. I, my concern is the way she would be handled and maybe how much Russia will resist letting her go and how much they will demand as, if you want to call it ransom in some sense, to allow her to leave the country. I'm more afraid that that is uh, potentially linked in some ways to her um, being a, a, especially a gay athlete because Russia is notor notoriously, an openly gay athlete because Russia is notoriously anti-gay. Why, why is it, uh, again, uh, professional female basketball players and, and their skill level is off the charts and it, it is a beautiful thing to watch. But <clears throat> they have to play abroad to be able to get the same, anywhere near the kind of money that a professional athlete is accustomed to getting paid. They're never going to get what NBA players get. But, um, or I hope they do. I, I shouldn't say never because never is a big word. But, um, well, they're nowhere near that. Nowhere near that. So they, they often augment uh, their, their uh, income by playing abroad. It's, isn't it odd that Russia invites them to play abroad? There must be basketball fans sufficient to be able to make up that kind of money. And yet, Russia is targeting her, so. Well, you know, again, Russia wants to have foreign athletes who are much more successful at this sport for their own purposes, right? Because it gets makes them higher profile, because it gets more publicity, because it gets more fans to come out, because the Russian oligarchs will make more money, because Putin always cares about the glory of Russia, whatever reasons. Um, the American athletes, the women, are not making as much money. Why? Well, you know, one side is going to say, because guess what? The WNBA is not not profitable even to this day. It, it doesn't have nearly as high a profile. It doesn't get nearly as high attendance. And so, you know, they, they make what the market bears. Now, you know, that's a complicated question. Is, you know, is the WNBA being fully promoted? Are women being given every opportunity? Um, is the league developed to the extent that it could be? Um, are Americans coming around to the idea that women at that level, you know, I've seen local uh, Amherst College and Smith College women's basketball games, and they're phenomenal. I actually like the women's game better than the men's game. The women play team offense and team defense, and the men play, in, in, to my mind, in, in major professional basketball, more like one-on-one -on -one games. I don't really like watching them. Um, I would like to think it's going to change. Is there anything wrong with Brittany Briner going overseas to try to make more money? I don't think there's anything wrong with it, and I think it's understandable. Um, I don't know if other people think it's wrong, but some people think that, you know, hey, she's making enough money here. She's making $200,000 a year. And I, I can't say that I, I think that's in any way comparable to what the men make. So if we were to say, what would happen to LeBron James, if he was over in Russia playing and he was arrested for possession, it's almost a false comparison because LeBron James doesn't have to go to Russia. He's mm. not going to. That's a good point. Well, um, I can't thank you enough for joining us today to talk about both Bill Russell and uh, Brittany Griner's uh, terrible situation. Let's hope that we can find a way to bring her back home. And I'm so glad that we're finding ways of celebrating Bill Russell's social activism and his talent. And you, Duke Goldman, thank you so much for joining us. You're always fascinating. Thank you. I enjoy doing it. And I, I do think that Brittany Griner deserves to be freed as soon as possible. Indeed. Listeners, we're going to take a break, but when we come back, I'm very uh, excited because I get to meet, uh, albeit by telephone, but Quentin Palfrey, who is a candidate for the Democratic nomination uh, for Attorney General of Massachusetts, is an important, important
physician to all of us, and I can't wait to meet Quentin. We'll be right back after these messages. Do stay with us. Afternoon Buzz with Buzz Eisenberg, 101.5 WHMP. For WHMP News, I'm Jess Tyler. Governor Charlie Baker signed into law the first major step of its kind by state government to bolster the marijuana industry and tear down obstacles that its participants face. Baker approved almost everything in a wide-reaching cannabis industry regulatory reform bill, greenlighting measures to increase diversity in the field, increase oversight on agreements between marijuana businesses and municipalities, and move closer to social pot consumption sites. One person has been arrested for what police believe to be an intentionally set explosion in Greenfield. 53-year-old Daniel Burrell is accused of intentionally setting off an explosion on Union Street yesterday afternoon. The device was determined to be a propane tank that was covered in a cloth and set on fire. Police say several unexploded suspected incendiary devices were also found inside the Union Street home. And Massachusetts will hold its annual sales tax holiday this weekend. The two-day holiday lets buyers skip the usual 6.25% sales tax on some items. There are some exceptions. Anything that costs more than $2,500 is still taxed. Food, alcohol, marijuana, vehicles, boats, and gas are still taxed. You can also buy a product this weekend and get the savings, even if you don't take delivery right away. Items sold on the Internet also qualify for the Massachusetts sales tax holiday exemption, but customers should still be diligent to make sure the retailer is not charging a sales tax during the checkout process. Joan Holiday, WHMP News. Mostly sunny this afternoon, low humidity, nice day, a high of 78 to 82. For tonight, mostly clear, overnight low 50 to 56. Mostly sunny on Saturday with a high of 76 to 80 and partly sunny skies, low 80s on Sunday. I'm 22 News Storm Team Meteorologist Brian Lapis, 101.5 WHMP. Want to support the kind of talk you hear on the afternoon buzz? Want to hear your business's message here on WHMP? Email us, your message at whmp.com. We'll help you craft a marketing message that'll reach listeners of your favorite WHMP show. And you'll be supporting the local news, Valley Talk, and progressive voices you hear right here on WHMP. Let us know about your message. Email us, your message at whmp.com. And add your message to our mission. And hear your message right here on WHMP. Your message at whmp.com. 586-1000. Good phone number, right? It's the number Whalen Insurance got when we opened in 1961. It's still our number more than 60 years later. If you need an insurance quote or have a claim, just call 586-1000. We answer the phone, ready to help. That's our pledge to you. Until now. Now when you call, we'll answer. And if it's something clerical or routine, like an address change, we're going to transfer you to the Arbella Insurance Call Center in Quincy. You'll be connected with a real person there, too. You won't be entering your policy number on the dial pad. The Arbella Call Center. I told myself Whalen Insurance would never do this, but insurance agent friends all over New England tell me it actually works really well. So we're going to try it. And if it doesn't work well, I'm sure you'll let us know by calling 586-1000. Whalen Insurance. Local people. Local service, local insurance, in partnership with Arbella Insurance. In the mood for takeout? Want to find yoga classes, music lessons, or art supplies nearby? Save 30% on full-value gift certificates to dozens of local businesses and services from Springfield to Brattleboro and everywhere in between. Whether it's a quick bite for lunch, something nice for a special occasion, or just an excuse for some good old retail therapy. Save 30% on full-value gift certificates at the Shop 30 store at whmp.com. This is the Afternoon Buzz with Buzz Eisenberg, 101.5 WHMP. And welcome back for those who are returning uh, to the program. For those who are just joining us, thank you for joining us. Uh, you're joining us at a great time. We out here at Western Massachusetts, we um, only get a rare glimpse of the people who are running for statewide office because they're so busy running all over the Commonwealth, uh, introducing themselves and convincing people that they're the right people for the jobs they seek. Um, today was the first time that I've ever had the opportunity to speak with uh, Quentin Palfrey, who is a candidate for the Democratic nomination for Attorney General of Massachusetts, and I'm just pleased as punch to have him on the phone 
Hi, Quentin. Hi, Buzz. Thanks so much for having me. It is my pleasure to have you uh, on the show and to be able to uh, to learn more about you and your candidacy and your platform. So I, my first question for you, Quentin, is tell us a little bit about your background and especially that portion of your background that prepares you, in your view, to be the Massachusetts Attorney General. Sure. So I grew up in uh, Worcester County, um, and uh, like many people from central Massachusetts, uh, we have a little bit of a feeling that Beacon Hill sometimes forgets that the whole state is out there. And so uh, I'm very committed to making sure that as attorney general, we spend a lot of time uh, in western Massachusetts and uh, um, and uh, really cover the whole state. Um, so I'm a former assistant attorney general. Uh, I was the first chief of the healthcare division uh, in the attorney general's office. Uh, I was there at the time that we were implementing Massachusetts health reform. Um, and so we worked really hard to make sure that uh, everyone had access to high quality, affordable health care. I sued some predatory health insurance companies that were lying to Massachusetts uh, residents, denying them cancer treatments. And uh, we kicked them out of Massachusetts. Um, and I think it's a good example of uh, what the people's lawyer can do. You know, recently, the attorney general's office uh, sued uh, Purdue Pharma and the Sackler family, whose lies helped bring us uh, the opioid crisis. Um, so I have a direct direct experience with how the Attorney General's office can have an impact on Western Mass and uh, communities all across the, the Commonwealth. I also had a great honor to serve in the White House under President Barack Obama. So I got involved in his uh, campaign because I was very interested in voter protection um, and voting rights and some of the challenges to our democracy. Um, and uh, when uh, President Obama was elected, I had, had the honor to go into his administration and I served in his White House uh, as senior advisor for jobs and competitiveness um, and actually uh, recently went back into uh, the federal government on day one of the Biden administration uh, where I uh, was acting general counsel of commerce um, and helped uh, you know, take over the government from the Trump administration, left uh, things in a very bad shape. And uh, um, so uh, we had a team of about 400 lawyers uh, in, the, uh, in the Biden administration. Um, but now I'm running for attorney general. Um, I have the, uh, was endorsed by the Democratic Party at the state convention. Um, and I'm really interested in um, in standing up against special interests and taking on uh, really big challenges um, and look forward to, to chatting a little bit about what we can do in the office. Well, it might be redundant relative to what you were just saying, but my the next question I'm looking at that I wanted to ask you is, can you tell us really, why do you want to be Attorney General of Massachusetts? Yeah, so I loved uh, working in the attorney general's office. Uh, it's a really extraordinary place, uh, and uh, you have the opportunity to help uh, people in individual communities with things like uh, health care access, consumer protection, uh, workers' rights, civil rights. Um, and at the same time, you can take on really big challenges. I mean, you sort of think about uh, this moment in American history uh, we've got uh, a Supreme Court that's been hijacked, uh, that's fundamentally uh, attacking and undermining our civil rights. Uh, you've got a democracy that's literally under attack. An armed mob stormed to the Capitol to try and disrupt uh, the peaceful transition of power. Um, and uh, we've got some really big challenges, uh, racial injustice and the climate crisis, uh, you know, attacks on abortion care, attacks on um, you know, workers' rights and LGBTQ rights. And, um, you know, I think if you think about where the leadership is going to come from to take on a lot of these challenges, I, I think it's going to come from the states and from the grassroots. Um, and Massachusetts has this wonderful tradition of, of leadership. Uh, we've had it throughout our whole history, uh, but certainly in recent years, uh, we led the way on equal marriage. We led the way on universal access to health care. And I think in, in the time that's coming, um, we're going to need uh, Massachusetts uh, to lead. The attorney general's office has been a big part of that. And you've seen the AG office uh, take on ExxonMobil, take on Purdue Pharma, take on Walmart, take on the Trump administration. Um, and I think it's really important that the next attorney general 
uh, be somebody with experience and uh, with, uh, you know, progressive values and independence uh, to be able to step in on day one and do some of the things uh, that we've uh, been so proud to see uh, the attorney general do over the last few years. Here, here to that. So let me circle back to what you were talking about, about defending our democracy. And by the way, listeners, I really encourage you to go to Quentin Palfrey's uh, website and uh, without... <laughs> in fairness to all the candidates uh, for every position, especially statewide office and to their website and, and see what they are talking about. Uh, Quentin, you have a number of white papers effect- effectively summarizing your positions uh, and based on what you were just talking about defending democracy. Um, I see that you want to protect and expand the right to vote. And of course we, uh, about a month ago passed the votes act, the latest incarnation of the votes act. And I think that the Votes Act, um, in terms of registering to vote, uh, allowed us to be registering, I think, within 10 days of the election. When I look at your um, your website, you would like to see saying election day registration allowed in Massachusetts. Is that right? Yeah, that's absolutely right. So as, as I mentioned, you know, I, I care a lot about uh, voting rights. Uh, I've spent a lot of my career on this. Uh, I founded a national uh, voter protection organization called the Voter Protection Corps. And I think we're at the moment uh, in American history where our democracy, uh, you know, is being undermined uh, by campaign finance problems, by gerrymandering, uh, by voter suppression, whole series of, uh, of attacks on, uh, you know, on, on representation. Um, and I do think that Massachusetts is going to need to lead uh, on defending our democracy. So when uh, Joe Biden, uh, who I worked for, uh, went to uh, John Lewis's hometown on Martin Luther King Day and said, let's do something to, uh, you know, to, to uh, reform our voting rights, um, he was blocked by Mitch McConnell, by Joe Manchin, by Kirsten Sinema. Um, and so I think if you're going to see reforms to our democracy anytime soon, it's likely to come out of the states. Uh, now, Buzz, you mentioned uh, the Votes Act and Beacon Hill uh, did recently pass uh, a, a, voter, uh, a voting rights bill. Uh, most of it's very good. I'm a big fan of uh, vote by mail, um, and you can vote by mail in this uh, election. Uh, I think it's going to increase access for a lot of people. I'm a big fan of early voting, uh, which has been expanded uh, a little bit by, uh, by this law. But there is one area, as you mentioned, that I'm pretty disappointed in. Um, 20 states and the District of Columbia have enacted something called Election Day Registration. Some people call it Same Day Registration. But essentially it means that if you're an eligible voter uh, and you're not on the rolls, you can go on Election Day and, and register and vote. Um, the reason I care so much about this is because uh, the set of people who tend to get excluded uh, from voting um, as a result of the way that we do registration right now, they tend to be young people. They tend to be people of color. They tend to be people from immigrant communities or people who move around a lot. And when they get excluded from voting, it's not because they're not eligible. Uh, it's because of this arbitrary uh, and bureaucratic uh, voter registration deadline. So I'd love to see Massachusetts move towards uh, that that kind of a model. It did pass through the Senate, uh, but didn't make it through uh, the conference committee process. Um, I think there are a lot of other ways that uh, we can make our democracy work better in Massachusetts. We have a very untransparent uh, governor's office and legislature. Um, you can't uh, learn how your legislators vote on certain bills. So uh, last uh, couple weeks ago, there was a, a measure to give money back uh, to people who, uh, of course, have been affected by uh, inflation. And, you know, it's a good thing to give people back, but they excluded everybody making under $38,000, uh, mm. which seemed to me to be the set of people who uh, could, could benefit the most from that money. And so there was a, a representative who filed a, an amendment uh, to try to include uh, people making under $38,000. Um, and that amendment was struck down, but it was struck down uh, by a voice vote. So there's no way to know which uh, members voted for or against it, no way to hold them accountable uh, for their votes. And that's by design. Um, that's by design. It's a, it's a system um, that, uh, that doesn't, uh, doesn't give us the tools that we need to hold 
uh, voters uh, hold hold representatives accountable, and 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 so that has some consequences in terms of how representative our democracy can be. So as as Attorney General, I think I would uh, would push very hard uh, to make our democracy work better, to make our government more transparent, more ethical. Uh, we're going to take on corruption uh, both on on Beacon Hill and uh, in municipal governments across uh, the state, and make sure that when people um, you know are represented by uh, by their elected officials, they can feel confident that those folks are, are doing things in their best interest. And who could argue with that as an objective? We are talking to Quentin Palfrey, the uh, candidate for the um, Democratic nomination of Attorney General. I am going to take a break, Quentin. When we come back, I want to ask you some questions about health care access and reproductive rights. And in the debate the other night, campaign finance and who you accept money from and don't accept money from all was very much a part of the discussion among the candidates. But before we break, I just want you to tell people if they want to learn more about you, how do they find your website? Thanks, Bob. Buzz. Yeah, it's uh, quentinpalfrey.com. Uh, and we'd love to, to have you come to our campaign, learn uh, our website, learn more about the campaign, and get involved as a volunteer and make a contribution. That's great. We're going to be back with Quentin and talk more about his candidacy and about the needs that we have here in Massachusetts and of our Attorney General right after these messages. Do stay with us. This is the Afternoon Buzz with Buzz Eisenberg, 101.5 WHMP. Are Northampton, East Hampton, Holyoke, and Greenfield in competition for obviously not unlimited consumer and entertainment dollars? Join us when we speak with East Hampton Mayor Nicole LaChapelle, who will be our guest on this Mayor's Monday, Monday at 9 o'clock. Get in on the conversation. Bill Newman, weekdays at 9 and again at 5. WHMP, news, information, and the arts. Hi, I'm Missy Tatro, Assistant Vice President and Senior Mortgage Originator at Greenfield Cooperative Bank and its Northampton Co-op Bank Division. And I'm Mortgage Originator Jessica Eau Claire. Did you know you can start your pre-qualification or mortgage application online? Head on over to our new website at bestlocalbank.com and apply today. Or, if you prefer, come see us in person at one of our Hampshire or Franklin County locations. Right now, we're also giving you the opportunity to save up to $1,000 on your closing costs. That's right. You get $750 plus another $250 when we pre-qualify you for a mortgage. It's the best local mortgage from the best local bank. So come on over to the co-op and see me, Missy Tatro. Or me, Jessica Eau Claire, and save up to $1,000 on your closing costs. Close by September 30th, be a new first mortgage customer or refinance from another loan provider. Minimum $100,000 loan subject to change or end without notice. Other conditions apply. See bank for details. Greenfield Cooperative Bank is an equal housing lender, member FDIC, member DIF. You can count on your friends at the co-op. When you shop at River Valley Co-op, you get the best local and organic produce, a butcher shop, wine and cheese shop, fresh seafood, and hundreds of bulk herbs, spices, and more. When you shop at River Valley Co-op, you create hundreds of union jobs and generate over $7 million in purchases from local farms and businesses. River Valley Co-op is your food hub, bringing you the best from around the valley and world while supporting your neighbors and local farmers. Shop River Valley Co-op in Northampton and East Hampton today. River Valley Co-op. This is the Afternoon Buzz with Buzz Eisenberg, 101.5 WHMP. Our guest is Quentin Palfrey, the um, uh, candidate for the Democratic nomination for Attorney General, an incredibly important um, uh, position in Massachusetts, in my view, and in the view of, should be in the view of everybody. But Quentin, I think you know a little bit about this because you worked in the Attorney General's office um, in the healthcare division, I want to talk about expanding access to healthcare. Um, so, what what ideas do you have? What role can the attorney general's office play in expanding access? 
Yeah, thanks, Buzz. Um, uh, the Attorney General's office has, is a big player uh, in healthcare. I was the first chief of the healthcare division. Um, you know, and our healthcare system doesn't work very well right now. Uh, healthcare costs too much. It's too hard to access. Drugs, in particular, are too expensive. Uh, we underinvest in mental health and substance use disorders. Uh, I think that uh, the real answer to those challenges is to go to Medicare for all. Um, but in the meantime, the Attorney General's office. Uh, is a very important player in standing up for consumers. Um, as I mentioned, um, you know, I, I led a, an investigation and then a lawsuit into some predatory health insurance companies. Uh, we uh, often investigate uh, pharmaceutical companies that are taking advantage of, uh, of patients and medical devices, nursing homes. So there's a really robust uh, consumer protection uh, role in the attorney general's office. We also uh, play a big role when uh, there are consolidations of healthcare. Uh, institutions that leave big gaps. Uh, I know that that's been an issue uh, in Berkshire County in particular recently. Um, and so I think the Attorney General is, is really a consumer advocate in the healthcare space. Um, I'd love to see Massachusetts uh, move towards uh, Medicare for all. I'd like to see much more focus on racial disparities and, uh, and preventative healthcare, mental health parity, um, services for the disabled, for kids, uh, for poorer communities, uh, for older folks. I just think as a general rule uh, that there's a lot of uh, work that we have to do to make healthcare more accessible. And the AG um, does both uh, the sort of law enforcement piece of that um, using uh, both civil and criminal powers, but also has a really big policymaking role. And I'd, I'd like to use the platform uh, to really expand access to healthcare. I hate to label candidates for office because we're all prone to do it, but I can't help but ask the question. Bernie Sanders says healthcare is a right, a human right. Where do you land on that discussion? I absolutely think that healthcare is a human right. I'm a big fan of Medicare for all uh, or single payer healthcare, and uh, I think that uh, you know we need we need to uh, make sure that everybody has access uh, to healthcare as a human right. Here, here, Quentin. Reproductive rights. Um, boy, what a session we just had in the legislature in that regard. So. Um, you, it's something that I know means a lot to you. You talk a lot about it on your website. Uh, you think that reproductive rights need to be defended post-Dobbs. So tell us what your thoughts are. Yeah, that Dobbs opinion was appalling. It was outrageous. It wasn't surprising, though. The uh, you know, Republicans have been gunning uh, to stack the Supreme Court and undermine abortion rights uh, for a long time. And I think that, like so many other issues, uh, this is now going to have to be resolved at the state level. Uh, Massachusetts uh, has some of the best uh, laws around abortion access, and we got to make sure that they, they uh, get stronger and stronger. Um, but we also uh, need to uh, crack down on these crisis pregnancy centers that are uh, misrepresenting, uh, you know, people's uh, people's options. Um, we're going to have to protect people fleeing from other jurisdictions um, and protect our healthcare providers when they are offering services to people uh, from out of state. Uh, and then we're going to need to lead uh, on the long road back uh, to trying to defend civil rights all across. the country. And one of the scary things about that Dobbs decision, you see this in Justice Thomas's concurrence, um, is that they're not just going after abortion rights. They're going to go after LGBTQ rights. They're going to go after equal marriage and contraception and interracial marriage. Um, and this is the beginning of a very long fight over what it means to be an American, uh, what our civil rights are. And uh, I think that uh, the attorney general is going to play a really big role in that. We need Massachusetts to lead on the national stage. Um, and uh, that's a set of fights that I'm eager to take on. And I'm glad that you are, um, because we agree with every single word that you just spoke. So um, there has been some friction um, be among the candidates, three candidates, uh, on the Democratic side, um, regarding campaign finance, about how how your campaigns um, accept money and from whom they accept money. So why don't you lay out for us what the scenario is and what you think is right? 
Yeah, so we talked a little bit before about how our democracy is facing some significant challenges. And one of the biggest challenges I think we're facing comes from corporate money in elections. Since the Citizens United decision, we've seen a flood of corporate money coming into elections in the United States. And that's had a really big uh, problem in terms of, like, think about why we don't have better gun laws at the national level. It's because of the NRA. Think about why we've had so much trouble moving uh, urgently uh, to deal with the climate crisis. That's because of big polluters and their power over elected officials. Um, and so if you want your government uh, to be responsive, uh, you really need to keep that corporate money out of elections. Um, one of my opponents, Andrea Campbell, uh, in her 2021 bid for mayor, was supported by a super PAC uh, that was uh, that raised and spent about two million dollars from sources like uh, Jim Walton of the Walmart family, Bain Capital, Reed Hastings, who's a tech billionaire, charter school backers, and a number of other. Uh, sources. Um, and uh, I think that that's going to cause real conflicts of interest uh, if she ends up as the attorney general. So, for example, um, when uh, the attorney general uh, sued Walmart a few years ago for wage and hour violations, um, you know, that's the kind of case that I don't think that you can take on if you've recently accepted uh, quite a bit of uh, financial support from uh, Jim Walton of the Walmart family. If you want the AG to be involved in uh, questions around educational equity, and there's been hundreds of thousands of dollars of support from charter school backers and opponents of receivership or uh, pro proponents of, of receivership. Uh, that's going to make it really difficult uh, for you to have the kind of attorney general uh, that we want. So in general, I think that we need an attorney general that can stand up against special interests, that can take on the Walmarts and the Bain Capitals and the, uh, and the charter school backers and the tech billionaires. Um, and if that's what you want from your attorney general, we need a clean elections candidate uh, to be in that role. Well, um, you've already given us a number. We only have about a, a minute and 15 seconds left. So in that time, why should people vote for you? So I think there are three things that I bring to this race. One is directly relevant experience. As a former assistant attorney general, as uh, the acting general counsel in the Commerce Department, I led a team of about 400 lawyers. I think you need an attorney general who's a former government lawyer and who'd be ready to, to take this on on day one. I think this would be a hard job to do as your first job in government. Second, uh, my values are where the people of Massachusetts are. I, I, I'm, I'm in favor of single-payer health care, safe injection sites, a cap on charter schools, fair free transit, police accountability. Those are all issues uh, on which I differ from Andrea Campbell. And then finally, uh, we need an attorney general who's independent, who's going to take on special interests, who's not going to take money uh, from corporate sources. Um, that's why the Massachusetts Democratic Party endorsed me. I'm proud to have that endorsement. Um, and, uh, you know, as attorney general, I'm going to take on uh, those special interests, fight for Medicare for all, fight for abortion rights, make sure uh, that everyone in Massachusetts, um, you know, has has a, a fair shot in this system. His name is Quentin Palfrey. You should check out his website, uh, Quentin Palfrey. Um, thank you so much for joining us today. I also happen to know that you're a father of three, so you're a multitasker while you're <laughs> campaigning. Thank you so much, Buzz. It was a real pleasure, and I'll uh, go back and find the, my, my three kids, uh, 13, 11, and 5. So thanks <laughs> right. so much. All righty. It was a pleasure getting to know you a little bit. So everybody else, have a great weekend. Have a cooler weekend. And uh, next week we will meet the third candidate, um, Andrew Campbell. And so thanks for joining us. This is the Afternoon Buzz with Buzz Eisenberg, 101.5 WHMP. WHMP is looking for organizations that regularly distribute information about employment opportunities to job applicants or have job applicants to refer. If your organization would like to receive notification of job vacancies at our station, please notify us at careers. The only live WHMP and local talk Radio, in the Valley and Hampton for the Valley. Valley. WHMP Northampton. WHMQ Greenfield, a Northampton Radio Group station. It's 5 o'clock.